Hi, family, and thank you so much for joining me for tonight's service. I am so glad to be with you this evening, and I hope that you've come ready to study the Word of the Lord. We're going to a brand new book of the Bible tonight. We've finished uh, the books of First and Second Peter this evening, and tonight we're going to a brief letter from the Apostle Jude, and we're going to share that and study that carefully tonight. And, you know, I kind of want to take just a few moments to set up the, the whole um, book that we're going to look at. I think I'm going to be able to do this in three messages, maybe four messages. And um, I'm going to ask you to join with me each week and to study the notes. Tonight's notes are very brief. You can find them on our church app if you want to follow along with me there. But in tonight's message, my whole goal this evening is just kind of set up the little book of Jude. Now, if you've ever read Jude before, you look at that book and you go, why in the world would pastor want to preach upon this book, especially if you've read it? And I can tell you, I have never preached through the book of Jude. I have preached messages uh, using verses of Scripture from the book of Jude before, topical messages, but I've never just done an exegetical message of the entire book of Jude. And so it's a very short letter, but it's a powerful letter, and I think it's one that you're going to really enjoy studying and looking at with me tonight. Um, it's an interesting book in a number of ways because Jude is very concerned, again, like the Apostle Peter was, about false teachers that have come in, and he'll use some strong language in this book, and uh, he'll talk about that. He'll talk about his opinion of them, and it's left recorded for us as God's Word. So we need to be careful when I say his opinion. We're really looking at God's opinion. He's also going to talk to us about not only God's love for us, but he's going to talk to us about God's plan for the coming ages and what God has done in the past ages as well. Interestingly, he's going to quote from an apocryphal book, and when I get to that, we'll deal with that. Uh, Protestant Christians do not accept the Apocrypha as the Word of God. Uh, there's good reasons for that. We'll deal with that when we get there. But when you read it, you, you may go, what's this book he's referring to? I can't find that in the table of contents of my Bible. But we'll get to that and we'll talk about that as well. It's also a book that's really relevant to the day that we're living in. You know, you've heard me say this before. The, the Scriptures are relevant. And we sin when we make the Bible irrelevant by how we preach the Bible. And tonight, I'm just simply entitling this message, Called, Loved, and Kept Safe for Jesus Christ. So, would you join me right now, and let's look together at the Word of the Lord. I'm just going to read the first two verses this evening. This letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. I am writing to all who have been called by God the Father who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more mercy, peace, and love. Would you join me in prayer tonight? Heavenly Father, I love you and I thank you for the scriptures that you have given us to study that make us wise unto salvation that, Lord, are like food to our souls. They're strength for us, and you even describe your word as, as life and health to our flesh and bones. And tonight, Lord, this little gem that is tucked right in at the end of our Bibles before the Revelation, Lord, there's so much here that I can't believe in over 40 years of ministry I've never preached right through the book. And 
And I just, I just want to say thank you, Lord, for the opportunity for letting me live long enough to preach through this book. For it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen and amen. Well, let's set it up for just a moment. And again, I'm, I'm still in the setup part of it because it's so important that you get this. And I want you to, to really kind of get a picture in mind. I almost brought a letter in here from my wife, a letter that Becky wrote me, oh, it's been about 22 years ago now, and it's several pages long. I have kept the letter. It's a kind letter. It's a sweet letter. It's a loving letter. It's a letter that represents not only the spirit and the heart of a passionate follower of Christ, but it's the letter from a godly wife to what I pray have, that I've been a godly husband. It's a letter also of her concerns and of her prayer time together. There's no rebuke in the letter whatsoever. I don't mean to imply that, but some things that Becky was thinking about and concerned about. And I've kept that letter through the years, and I, I, I probably at least once a year, I go back and I reread that letter because it was such an important letter. I was actually preaching a spiritual emphasis week in Florida, and I had gone out for a run, and we were talking on the telephone, and while I was running, and, and I just said, would you take time and would you write this letter to me? And uh, just tell me your deepest thoughts about the subject matter we were talking about. And, and maybe next week I'll just hold the letter up so you can see what I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sharing about. It's a long letter. It's an epistle. It's Rebecca's epistle to me. And as I read the letter, I was so taken by it that I reread it and I reread it. I want you to imagine for just a moment that... In the day that Jude would have been writing, there was no U.S. Postal Service. There was no Asiatic Postal Service. There was no Mideast Postal Service. Unless you were somebody very wealthy and somebody that could afford to pay uh, a special messenger to take your message and deliver it um, pronto, promptly, as fast as, as horseback or donkey or ship would allow you to travel in those days, what you had to do is you had to depend upon a friend or a trusted person that was going to the place that you wanted to send a letter to a friend. So imagine for a moment that Jude writes this letter. He's very concerned about something. And he finds someone and he gives them the letter. He writes the letter. In those days, he would have sealed the letter. And it would have been addressed to whoever. And then it would have had Jude's name on it. And, and the letter would have been kept secure by the wax seal that was there so that the recipient would know that the letter hadn't been read. But let's just imagine it was any letter. And we have lots of examples of these kinds of letters that have been found among papyri and other writings. They're kind of mundane, but we have copies of them to illustrate what I'm telling you tonight. But let's just imagine that you make a long journey and you have directions from the person who wrote the letter. And they tell you when you get to Rome or when you get to Antioch or when you get to Athens, what you want to do is you want to pass through the archway. You want to look for the temple to Athena and you want to pass the temple of Athena. Then when you get to the, to the spa, the thermal spas, you want to make a right-hand turn and two streets down, you're going to make a left-hand turn and you're going to come to a large building next to a bakery and across from the bakery, you're going to see 
a, a tanning shop or a leather shop. You probably wouldn't have seen a tanning shop next to a bakery because they stunk really bad. But you're going to see uh, maybe a, a shoe shop or something. And if you will look up at the second floor, that's where my friend James lives. And so you arrive, and I don't want to holler real loud here over the video tonight, but you got to the place and you stood outside the building. You went, hey, James. And well, James is not being used to being called like that, but James sticks his head out the window and hollers back at you, yeah? And he says, I've got a letter here for you from Jude. Well, James hurries downstairs. He's excited to hear from Jude. And you and he exchange the news of what's going on in your communities. You're telling him, and let's just say we're at Antioch. You're telling what's going on in Antioch. Jude is telling you what's going on back in Jerusalem, perhaps. And you exchange news. Then you, you tip him. You give him a few coins. You say, thank you so much for sending me this letter. And then you do what all of us do when we get a letter from someone that we love, someone that we care about, like I did with the epistle from Rebecca that I was telling you about a few moments ago. When I got her letter, I sat down somewhere by myself. I remember well, I got a cup of coffee, and I sat down, and I read all seven or eight pages of that letter and reread the letter again. That's how we do with letters from people that we love. Well, that's what Jude had done. And the reason that I'm taking a little more pain to tell you about this than I did with the first epistle and the second epistle of Peter is one, I just didn't think about it with the other two uh, epistles, but in thinking about it and thinking about Jude and who he was, oh wow, I just had a few moments. Matter of fact, even today, I just found I had to just stop and just get on my knees and worship the Lord. My heart was moved. My eyes was filled with tears because of the humility of the man that is writing, the humility of Jude. This is the brother of Jesus Christ. Now, he's the He's the half-brother because Jesus was the virgin-born son. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. Well, the Bible is real clear that after Jesus was born, that Mary and Joseph knew one another intimately, and Mary and Joseph had other uh, children. Jesus had brothers and sisters. And this, this young man, Jude, would have been the brother of Jesus Christ. And you say, why are you calling him young? Because he was younger than Jesus. And what, what I think touched me so much about this, and maybe it's why it didn't catch me with the other epistles, and I thought about it, and, and I just, again, I had to kneel down and worship, is because Jude and his other brothers, James was one of them, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. If you remember, they mocked him, they ridiculed him, they scorned him. They did not have faith. And so, Evidently, after Jesus was resurrected, after Jesus was crucified, and I don't know this for sure, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I have a feeling that Jesus went to his family, and they saw his pierced hands, they saw his feet, they saw his wounded side, and they must have confessed, because James was also the brother of Jesus. We've looked at that when I preached through the book of James a few years ago on a midweek service, and then I preached through the book of James on a Sunday morning service as well. We looked at how James was the brother of Jesus. But in this passage that, that we just looked at together, Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. In other words, he is the brother of James. He's not trying to you know, get puffed up. He's not trying to uh, gain a name for himself. He could have said, I'm the brother of Jesus, but instead he just simply says, I'm the brother of James, 
And in so doing, I thought it was just such a humble moment. Well, let's look here at Mark chapter 6 and verse 3. And I'm going to read it from the message translation. Some of the people that didn't believe in Jesus were cutting him down. But in the next breath, they were cutting him down. He's just a carpenter, Mary's boy. We've known him since he was a kid. We know his brothers, James, Justice, Jude, Simon, and his sisters. Who does he think he is? Who does he think he is? And in, in some of your other translations of the Bible, you'll read Judas. It's not Judas Iscariot. And we believe that one of the reasons that the New Testament writers began to refer to Judas as Jude was so that he wouldn't be confused with Judas Iscariot. And I think that what you're seeing is, is that Jude was, Jude was avoiding saying, I'm Jesus' brother, but he was saying, I'm James' brother. In other words, he was saying, look, I have got some apostolic authority here that I can talk to you about, but he's doing it in a humble way. He's saying, look, James, as you know, is, a, is the leader of the church. And the book, book of Acts showed us real clearly that James was recognized as a leader in the church and a strong leader in the church. But he, he, he was using that to say, hey, I'm coming to you not only with the authority of Christ, but I'm coming to you because James and I have discussed this and we've talked about this. I'm writing this to you as the Word of God. The second thing I want you to see about Jude here is his humility led him to become a happiest, happy person. The happiest people I know are those who serve God and they serve one another. The happiest people I know are the people that are submitted to God and they're happy to submit to one another. The happiest marriages I know are not the ones where the husband is trying to dominate the wife or the wife is trying to dominate the husband. The happiest marriages I know are where the couple is mutually submitted to one another. In a Christian marriage, the Bible does say that the husband is the head of the home. The Bible does say that the husband is the head of the wife. But it doesn't mean head in a sense that we put somebody under our thumb or that it's denigrating, but it's protector, it's covering, it's someone that loves, it's someone that provides for, it's someone that is willing to give their life up for the people that they're covering. The people that I've met who've tried to use that scripture wrongly are always trying to beat and cow people into submission. Those are not happy people, those are the people that are worried about their authority. But the truly happy people are the people who aren't trying to get authority for themselves. The truly happy people aren't the ones trying to get a title for themselves. The truly happy people I know are the ones that submit themselves to the Lord. Psalm 69 and verse 32 say, The humble have seen it and are glad. You who seek God, let your heart revive. Listen, you don't ever have to worry about trying to gain authority. If you will live for Christ, if you will honor God's word, if you will seek him with all of your heart, if you will be willing to be a servant to those around you, if you will be willing to do those things, God will lift you up. The Bible Bible says if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he will lift you up in due time. Now, the best way I know how to serve people is to use the gifts and the talents and abilities that God has given you. 
I wouldn't serve anybody well by trying to be a poet. I'm not a poet. I wouldn't serve anybody well by trying to be a contractor. I'm not a contractor. But I serve people well by using the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God has entrusted to me. And my talents or my abilities are just as important as the poets are just as important as the contractors are. And your talents and abilities are just as important as the doctors or anyone else. So celebrate how God has gifted you and use it to serve people with and to serve God with and not try to dominate. Unhappy people are always trying to remind people they're in charge. You know, every once in a while, it's not often, but every once in a while, somebody will say to me, well, I'm a bishop or I'm an apostle or I'm a prophet or something like that. And And generally when they're doing that, they're trying to get me to do what they want me to do or trying to get me to open up my pulpit to them or something like that. I've actually had people do that and it just kind of blows me away. And I say, well, you know, I'm glad that you feel like you're called to be that. But you know, one of the ways that we knew that a a, a cow was a mother, was that she had calves. One of the ways that we know that a dog is a mother is she has puppies. One of the ways we know a peach tree is a peach tree is it bears peaches. People will know you by your fruit. You don't have to try and get a big name and a big title for yourself. Just serve God, love God, and God will honor you and lift you up. The third thing I want you to see tonight is that a mark of maturity is actually living under authority. James was the leader of the church. Jude describes himself as the brother of James. And these two brothers, rather than striving with one another, now remember, they both at first didn't believe in Christ, but after his resurrection, they both became passionate followers of Jesus Christ. But they both, instead of striving with one another, they sought to serve God together. And boy, isn't that cool when you see your children working together? Isn't it cool when you see your children serving God together? You know, I was last year at my brother-in-law's church in Florida, and I watched and, would, and I could see the joy on my sister's face and his face because there on the platform leading worship was his daughter. There at a keyboard was one of his sons playing the, the keyboard that Sunday morning. There was his youngest son, his oldest son playing the key, uh, keyboard, his, his only daughter leading worship. And then his youngest son is his co-pastor there in the church. And those kids love each other. Those kids honor each other, and they work together. And seeing that example, I remember just taking my iPad because I was taking notes that night on my brother-in-law's message. I remember taking my iPad and just thinking how joyous it is, how pleasing to God it is when brothers and sisters can serve God together and what joy and peace that that brings to a father as well. Listen to Psalms 131 this evening. God, I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart like a baby content in its mother's arms. My soul is a baby content. Wait, Israel, for God. Wait with hope. Hope now, hope always. You know, God may raise you up to be a great leader. God may raise you up to be 
a mayor. God may raise you up to be a governor. God may, you know, who knows, right here in our own congregation, there may be one of the young people in our church that God raises up to be the president of the United States one day. You know, I, I'm always amazed when I look back over 40 plus years of ministry. I have students that I was youth pastor to that they've become professional athletes, baseball players, football players, heart surgeons and doctors, politicians, sheriffs, attorneys, college presidents, college professors. Some of the young men that uh, I've discipled have gone on to, to national leadership in other areas, and I'm so proud of them. A few years ago, Becky and I were in Washington, D.C., and we were standing waiting on the subway to pick us up at a place called Foggy Bottom. Isn't that a funny name? We were waiting to be picked up, and all of a sudden, this, these two big strapping arms grabbed me from behind and lifted me straight off the floor and said, Pastor Dennis! I love you, man. And I, I, I grasped and they put me down and turned me around and I didn't recognize him. And when he told me who he was, he had been a child in our church and he recognized me, which was pretty cool. And there he was working in the United States Congress. I was so proud of him and I was so grateful for that moment. And Becky and I and he, we just laughed together and rejoiced. If you will serve God, God will lift you up. But a mark of maturity is not trying to get people to submit to you. A mark of maturity is submitting to authority. There are those that I'm submitted to joyfully. I'm submitted to the, to, to the leadership of our church. I'm submitted to our congregation. But at the same time, I'm called to lead this congregation. And this, this congregation has given me their, their, their loyalty. They've given me their love. They've given me their prayers. As I follow Jesus Christ, they have done that. It's made my work a joy here. And that's exactly what Hebrews chapter 13 says, is that, that that's the way we should work together so that the work of pastors could be a joy, but never one time in over 40 plus years of ministry have I ever tried to power up and tell a church you're supposed to submit to me. Have I ever tried to pastor up and say, because I'm pastor this, but I have made one promise through the years and that I don't expect anybody just to give me their respect. I hope to earn your respect. And if you will have that attitude, I believe that's one of the keys to success. If you will have that attitude, not to try to power up, not to try to put your confidence in the title, but love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you do yourself. Submit to God and submit to one another. Don't try to rule the roost. Don't try to be the king of the mountain. Keep your feet on the ground. Cultivate a quiet heart and be content and wait upon God. He will lift you up at his time. I'll be honest with you. I don't want to get into a place where I'm over my head. I don't want to get into a place where my gifts and talents are ineffective. I want to be right in the place where God can use me the best. Does that make sense? I want to be in the place where God can use me the best. Does that mean I'm not ambitious? No, I'm very ambitious for the things of God. But I trust His counsel, His guidance, and His direction. Well, I, I need to push on here because I've got at least two more points I want to share with you tonight. Jude then tells us something. And again, it's left for us as the Word of God. So you can take this to bank. Jude tells us that we are called and loved and kept safe for Jesus Christ by God the Father. We are called, we are loved, and we are kept safe for Jesus Christ by God the Father. Now, those are three words that deserve a little bit of attention to really understand this letter. Number one, 
Called doesn't just mean, you know, a, a general call, y'all come. But this word call, it's the same description and the same meaning where no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit of the Lord draws him. God has called you. God has called me to salvation in Christ. The gospel call goes out to everyone, and that's why it's so important for you and I to share the gospel. That's why it's so important for me to preach the gospel. The Bible tells us it's by the foolishness of preaching that God has chosen to save the lost, so it's important that you invite people with you to church so they can hear the call and the invitation. It's important that if you can't be on campus that you, that you ask people to watch online with you because we're always going to issue an invitation. A Sunday morning after church, one of the ladies in the church came and was just telling me in tears how that she had taken one of our new believers Bibles and given it to someone and she described it as an encyclopedia of the Bible and she told the person she gave it to if you will read these helps that are in this Bible this will help you understand the Bible it will help you understand who God is it will help you understand who Jesus the Holy Spirit is how much he loves you, what your purpose in life is. And I was so proud of her for the way that she reached out and she shared her faith. And friends, the call of God is powerful. The call of God is influential. Remember how God dealt with the Apostle Paul? I mean, he was called Saul then. I mean, God had been dealing with him. I mean, he had to be dealing with him because at the stoning of Stephen, something was so pronounced about that that it was even marked that Saul was holding the garments of those that were stoning Stephen. But God was dealing with him, and the Lord tells him, Saul, Saul, it's hard for you. You're kicking against the prick. You're kicking against the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And so when you share the Bible, when you share the gospel, God's word is touching people's lives. And I'm convinced that when I share a scripture with someone, it's at work in their lives. It's the dunamis of God. It's the power of God. The gospel is the power of God at work in their lives, opening their eyes, defeating the work of the enemy. Number two, we are loved by God. And I got to tell you, just reading that today again, I'm just like, wow. God wants to remind you one more time tonight, you're loved. And maybe you've heard that so much you've taken it for granted. Or maybe you've drunk in the spirit of this world that says that, you know, you should be loved. Stop and think for a moment. While we were still enemies of God, God sent his son Jesus Christ to die for our sins. Don't think for a moment that you were so sweet, you were so cute, that you were so wonderful that God just couldn't help but love you. You and I had fallen short of the glory of God in our sins. And sinners and rebels that we were, God still loved us. So God called us while we were in our sin because he loved us. God sent his son Jesus to save us. You are more loved than you can ever imagine. And then, notice this, we are kept for Jesus Christ. God is preserving our lives. God is protecting our lives. Everything, the Bible tells me that everything that I commit to the Lord, He will keep that. I've committed my wife. I've committed my children, my grandchildren. I've committed this congregation. You know, if I die tonight, really, you need to know this. If I die tonight, one of the things that I constantly do is commit this congregation and my family to the keeping care of Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, is that necessary? I don't know if it's necessary or not because the Bible tells us that that's what's happening. But in my heart and mind, I just go right back and I remind myself that God is 
is going to keep you. God is going to take care of you. God is going to, to God's going to take what I've entrusted to him, and God is going to preserve that. But you've got to understand, you've got a role to play in that as well. And I'm running out of time here, so I really need to speed up for just a moment. So understand this. You have a role to play in this. The Bible tells us to keep ourselves in the love of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Part of the reason that Jude is writing this letter is because people are getting slack in their devotion. Part of the reason Jude is writing this letter is people are, are listening to false teachers. And so he's encouraging, encouraging them to persevere. And a true, born-again, blood-washed, spirit-filled Christian, and by blood-washed I mean that we've trusted in Jesus Christ's blood to for, wash away all of our sins, the Bible tells us that that person will persevere. God will keep you. If you can stand the pulling, God will pull you through. I can't remember what theologian said it, but he, he described the keeping love of God like two ropes. One was the grace of God dropped down to us, and the other is that same rope that comes from God, which we hold on to. One is God pulling us, one is God, us holding on to God. So hold on to your faith, hold fast to your confession, as the Bible says, hold fast to your family in prayer, entrust all that God has entrusted to you, keep it in His care. And you can read more about that in the book of Philippians chapter 2, especially verses 12 through 13. And then I want to close with this. Jude prays for us. Jude prays for us. And you know, he's, he's writing this letter and he begins it with a prayer. And I, you know, when I write letters, a lot of times I just write a short prayer in there. And I've got to where in the last few years, because there are so many people that I, I do pray for, that sometimes when they ask me to pray for them, I will just write a prayer out. And after I write it out and pray over it and think about it, I'll just put it into a text message, or I'll put it in an email and send it to them. Some people have told me they've kept those prayers, and they've just collected them, and they pray those prayers over, and they agree with me. And a lot of times, I'll include Scripture, and they say, pray with me. But wouldn't it be wonderful if every email we wrote, and I know it's not possible, with, especially when you have as many to write as I do every single day, but wouldn't it be wonderful if every single email that we wrote, we could include a brief prayer that we wrote for that person in there? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just sincerely sit there and write out a prayer? So let me challenge you this something this week. You may have an email to reply to this week. Why don't you pray about that email? And why don't you just, just pray for that individual? Don't try to be fancy. Don't try to be poetic. Just simply ask God to show you a couple of verses of Scripture that you can pray over and then write a prayer with your email for that person. And you might just start your prayer something like this. Heavenly Father, thank you tonight that I know that you have called and that you are keeping safe those that you love in Christ Jesus. You might do that. You might even make it personal. Let's just say the person you're writing, that their name is, is Sue. You say, Father, I thank you tonight that you have called Sue. I thank you that as I'm writing this email that you love Sue. And I thank you that, Lord, as I'm writing this email, that you are keeping her in your care. And you might just want to put right there in parenthesis then, Jude verse 2. Just put that in there. And so when that person sees that you're praying, you're praying a verse of Scripture for them. And if you've noticed, Jude likes triplets. I mean, he's, he's going to use, he's going to group things in threes oftentimes. So, 
You know, his favorite group today would have been Peter, Paul, and Mary. Think about that. I mean, he just likes these threes. He tells us, number one, he says that we're called, we're loved, we're kept safe for Jesus. And then he has this other little triad that he prays for us. He says, may God give you more and more mercy, peace, and love. And in conclusion tonight, you think, well, why would I need more mercy? Listen, I need mercy every single day. Let me tell you something that happened just recently. I'm, I'm pretty good about picking up my uh, stuff, my dishes, and rinsing them out and putting them away. And my wife said to me, said, did you enjoy your oatmeal? Because I had ate my oatmeal while I was uh, working on a, something on a project. And I said, yeah. She says, I found your bowl. I go, oh, I am so sorry. She goes, did you enjoy your apple? I go, yeah, I enjoyed my apple. Did I leave the core laying there beside? Yep. And then she says, and did you enjoy your yogurt? So there was a bowl of oatmeal, an apple, and a yogurt cup that was all empty. And I go, I am so sorry. She just smiled. She didn't fuss. She didn't quarrel. She didn't say, why do you make my life more difficult? She just smiled and she says, okay, you know, I apologized and she thanked me. And of course, I'll try to do better. Here's my point. I need mercy all the time. And believe it or not, you need mercy too this evening. And this letter is going to be a powerful letter. We're going to have so much fun. And I mean that fun as we go through this. We're going to talk about angels. We're going to talk about the Apocrypha. We're going to talk about the Scripture. We're going to talk about false teachers. We're going to talk about heaven. We're going, this is a great book. And the way Jude ends it, it is so powerful. So let me pray with you tonight. And before I pray, you know, I want you to agree with me because you were called you were loved, and you were being kept safe by Jesus Christ tonight. Father, I thank you for your amazing grace. I thank you for this 30 minutes just to be able to teach and to speak from these first two verses of this beautiful little book written, Lord, by your blood relative, Jude. I just still can't wrap my mind around the fact that, God, you became man and because you were born of the Virgin Mary, you had two brothers, James and Jude, both who left us letters that are kept for us as the word of the Lord. I thank you for this tonight. Would you speak to those that are listening this evening or maybe those who will watch later? God, remind them you've called them and your calling is effective. It's effectual. Lord, they are loved by you. No greater love is anyone known than the love of God. And, Lord, they're being kept safe. Lord, and I pray that each of us will work at committing our families, our jobs, those that we're responsible for as we love you and serve one another. In Christ's name I pray tonight. Amen. Hey, could I ask you tonight, if you haven't given, would you go online tonight, go to woodland.church, click the word give, and be sure that you share your tithes and your offerings tonight. Also, you can just text 77977 if you would. Just text to give. You need to use the keyword, which is Woodland Church. Just, it's just no space between Woodland and Church. Just Woodland Church. Let me say that again. Woodland Church. That's all one word, no space. And you can text to give right there as well. But I am so grateful for your financial support. I'm so grateful for how you've been faithful with your tithes and offerings as you help us to continue to minister 
and to reach out not only to our community, but around the world that this church is touching tonight. You know, there's not a continent on the planet that we're not touching tonight with the exception of Australia and Antarctica. God is using this church right here in Brownstown, Michigan to bless the world with. So God bless you. Thanks for joining with me tonight. And Becky and I look forward to seeing you tomorrow on our daily prayer update. If you haven't watched the one today, we kind of gave you our little synopsis of the presidential debate last night. If you want to be sure and watch that, just go to my page, Dennis Clanton, on Facebook and watch that this evening. Let me know that you did, okay? God bless you. Good night.